these few weeks, we're doing a series around the Word together. Last week, church together, coming up, life together, worship together. Today, growing together. And when we think of growth and Scripture, we can't help but think of all the parables Jesus told that had something to do with growth, and probably no more so than in the 13th chapter of Matthew. Listen for God's Word. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil And they sprang up quickly since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seed fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. The word of the Lord. It was Christmas Eve around 20 years ago, and I was a young pastor, Sam Wells, Anglican priest now at St. Martin in the Fields in London, recounted. A few months earlier, Wells continued, I'd been appointed to a church whose Sunday attendance was around 15 people. We started making plans for Christmas. I insisted there should be midnight communion. That was always the highlight of my Christmas growing up. No one in the congregation there remembered ever going to church at midnight for any reason on any day. But I still thought it was a great idea, so we set the time, 11.30 p.m., December 24th. We organized. We leafleted the neighborhood, 3,000 houses or more. And then on Christmas Eve, 11 p.m. came, 30 minutes before the service, no one there. 11.15, still no one there. 11.25, still just me along with the bread and wine. Uh, 11.30, I tried so hard to stop the tear that was forming in my eyes. I tried. Believe me, I tried. I believe every single person knows what that tear feels like. That tear comes with at least two feelings. The first is failure. The sense that if you were a better person or had tried harder or had been more charismatic, then things would have turned out fine. The reassuring thing about failure, Wells comments, is that it allows you to preserve your narcissism, making it all fundamentally about you, that if it went wrong, it was because you did it wrong, all of which preserves the underlying conviction that you can get it right, and if and when you do, it'll be because of your brilliance. But failure is only half of it. The other part is rejection. Rejection is not saying, I just couldn't make it happen. Rejection means our best effort is repelled, spit out, strangled, so nothing can grow. And Samuel's just stood there in that church at 11.30 on Christmas Eve alone. 
In the eight parables collected in the 13th chapter of the gospel, Matthew presents Jesus as understanding that the reign of God has broken into this age and will continue, because it comes from God, to grow relentlessly, even when it faces opposition or resistance. This understanding is driven home in today's parable. A sower goes out to sow, and the seeds fall on all sorts of situations, and there is disappointment, and there is failure, and there is rejection, and just so, there is amazing, abundant growth. The late legendary preacher Fred Craddock once said that the recklessness and randomness displayed here suggests that the Bible was written by people who put life together out of short pieces of string. I wonder what the short pieces of string are in your life today. Whatever they are for you, I'm here to tell you that's where growth begins. Jesus knew this was our experience. He knew that our life is rarely straightforward or unambiguous. Jesus knew that for every time we experience joy and acceptance, there is also those times of sorrow or rejection. For every season, God seems so close. There are all those other times. Jesus knew this about us. And so he says, one day a sower went out to sow, and some of the seed went on the path, and practically before it hit the ground, it was gobbled up. Some went into the shallow soil. It sprang up looking promising, but because it had no depth, when the sun came out, it was toast. Some went among the weeds, not enough nourishment there, and the grain turned out nothing. But some fell among the good seed in an era where fivefold would have been a miracle. This produced a hundred, sixty, thirtyfold, a rich crop, a miracle of mystery and abundance. If we take this parable in the spirit in which Jesus told it, there is randomness and there is lack of order, which seems to be describing how God is at work as we seek to grow in faith. I grew up in farm country in central Illinois, and I'm here to tell you that all farmers, including the ones in Jesus' time, live on the margin. Farmers cannot afford waste. What do we make then of this owner who throws the seed just everywhere, even in such unlikely, seemingly unproductive places? What sort of worldview is suggested by someone who throws seeds on a well-worn path where birds can eat them, or on rocky ground where growth is unlikely, or among thorns that'll choke them. The sower seems willing to fling seed everywhere. Why? <clears throat> Every church I have served has at some point tried to get together and plot how we promote growth in faith. And so in my time in ministry, we have produced lists of spiritual goals that were developed in one church, or what to read in the Bible and in what order in another one, or a progress chart on spiritual gifts that were produced, or an arc of growth in faith that was worked on. Committees met to coordinate teaching and learning among children, youth, and adults. And all of those efforts produced some amazing results. 
And every single one of those initiatives was disrupted by actual life with God in the world. There was the unexpected joy that captured the congregation uh, when it hadn't planned to do the Pentecost Holy Spirit thing until the spring. And there was the crushing tragedy that befell one family that, that rocked the whole congregation several weeks before our unit on the book of Job. It may be this sower throws seed just anywhere in order to suggest that anywhere is, in final analysis, the arena of God's care and redemption and the arena of our growth. You know, not all growth can be plotted. I like growth that can be competently and completely predicted and set down. But growth in faith in God's world, growth through scripture and through prayer, growth in spiritual maturity into the fullness of Christ happens, yes, in plans and arcs and integrated curriculum and Bible lesson plans, but also in rocky, barren times where God is present and where growth happens in strange and broken places. Our friend Ted Wardlaw, president of Austin Seminary, recalls the day he spent in a strange and broken place. He says, I was with a group of civic leaders touring various outposts of our city's criminal justice system. It was near the end of the day and we were touring a juvenile court and detention center. That place was so depressing, wire mesh gates, razor wire, electrified fences. When the doors clanged shut behind us, I imagined how final that sound must be when adolescents, children, are escorted there. We were led through the facility by this amazing young judge who worked there. She showed us the holding cells where the inmates are processed. She showed us the classrooms where education is at least attempted. She showed us the courtrooms where the cases were prosecuted. Near the end of our tour, she led us down one bleak hallway of cells where the young offenders lived. Each cell had a steel door with narrow slots about two-thirds of the way up through which various pairs of eyes were watching us, following us as we walked down the hallway. Some of these children were accused of major crimes. Most of them, we learned, had had little nurture across their brief lives by a primary adult or a family or a neighborhood or a church. It was hard to notice those eyes staring through narrow slots without doing something, Ted says. So I lingered at one door and whispered to one pair of eyes, God loves you. The eyes did not appear to register much. And sometimes I wonder what, if anything, happened next. Did that news fall on the path and get eaten by birds? Did it fall among thorns and get choked out? I will never know. As the tour went on, the cumulative effect of all this brokenness got to one member of our group who finally just stopped in the hallway and began to cry. When the judge noticed this, she paused her narration, walked back and put her arms around that person, and with tears in her own eyes, she said, I know, I understand. And I thought to myself, if I'm ever judged, I wanna judge like that. Then it dawned on me, like a seed thrown in my path, 
that indeed I do have a judge like that. Ultimately, this parable is not about soils of different kinds. It's about the good sower. God's activity in the world is first, last, always about God's expansive love going everywhere. Spiritual growth is first, last, always a response to God's expansive love, opening our hearts, opening our minds. This sower is not so cautious and strategic to throw the seed only in places with guaranteed growth. No, our God is a high-risk sower, relentless and indiscriminately throwing seed on all soil as if it were all potentially good soil on the rocks, in the thorns, on the well-worn paths of our lives. Which leads us to wonder if there is any place or circumstance in which God's seed cannot sprout and take root. A half century ago, in a rocky, thorny moment, our country's heart was broken when a bomb went off at the 16th Street Church in Birmingham, Alabama, killing four little girls who were in that moment headed to their Sunday school class. They were headed to learn how to grow in faith. This was just 16 days after Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech, 18 days from that rich, fertile soil and amazing harvest to the rockiest, thorniest, most strangled terrain, at the girls' memorial service, King preached these unoffending innocent children were the victims of one of the most vicious and tragic crimes ever perpetrated. In a real sense, they have something to say to each of us in their death. They have something to say to every church's gospel ministry that has remained silent in the safe security behind stained glass windows. They have something to say to every politician who has fed constituents with a stale bread of hatred and the spoiled meat of racism. They have something to say to each of us, black and white alike, that we must substitute courage for caution. They say to us that our work is not done, our prayers are not over, our learning is not yet complete, and our lives stand in need of holy, passionate interruption. Our work is not done, our prayers are not over, our learning is not yet complete, our lives stand in need of holy, passionate interruption all of which seems to me to be the goal of all teaching, of all study, of all growth. This parable is not about which soil are we. This parable is about the good sower. We know God can bring forth harvest in good soil. But what about all the other places? What about the hard places? The places of tragedy and wreckage you and I know so well. Is there such a thing as God-forsaken soil? Is there such a thing as a God-forsaken place? Is there such a thing as a God-forsaken heart? 
can God work in non-orderly rows and challenging soil and in fields watered only by our tears? Back to Sam Wells in that tiny parish on Christmas Eve. He says, as I sat in that church late that Christmas Eve, my face in my hands and the first tear beginning to work from my fingers to my wrist, I heard a rustling noise. I looked at my watch, it was 11.32. The door opened. Into the church walked a man and a woman, late 40s probably, I'd never seen them before. Is it just us, she asked. I'm afraid it is, I said, humiliated. Oh good, the woman said. We waited to see if anybody else would come and when we thought we'd be the only ones, we walked in. What do you mean, Wells said, offering them to sit. Well, she said, I guess you should know that we used to be married to other people until quite recently. There are a lot of people who are very, very unhappy with us being together. We moved out here because we didn't think we could go to any of the downtown churches. In fact, we haven't been to a church for a long, long time. We were frightened to come tonight, but when we saw that we'd be the only ones, we got the courage to walk through the door. Our lives right now are a mixture of love and shame. We feel like we're in the dust. We wanna begin again. In God's presence and with God's power, dust may be the most fertile soil imaginable to grow and harvest abundantly. The sower, our, our loving God, wants to plant the seeds of gospel possibility everywhere. More to the point, God wants us, you and me together, to plant the seeds of God's activity and God's possibility in the dust, in the pit, in the thorns of your life, in the weeds of mine, in the best soil and in times of joy and amid the rocks that dent our souls, in the places of prejudice and hate, in places of grief and terror, in every place where we hear a cry, a moan, or a wail. God wants us to be sowers of God's seed. God will help us to receive that seed ourselves into every contour of our soul. God will bring us growth in amazing proportions so big that we can't stop talking about it. Whatever soil you find yourself in today, this is what I know, God is present and is slinging like crazy the seeds of God's hope and love right into the middle of your life and into the middle of our life as a congregation. And the seed of God's justice and grace has something to say to us today. We've got to get busy planting. We need to plant it carefully, of course, in the lives of those around us. But we need to hold some back, save some, so we can fling it everywhere, recklessly, with abandon, as generous as God's heart. God is sowing the seeds of God's possibility everywhere. And because this is God's work, and because this is done by God's power, faith and hope will grow and 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 grow 
and grow and grow and grow and grow. 